If you can have your Bibles open, please, to John 14. Um, I'm not going to preach right away. I have, uh, I want to say a few words to the church, including those of you online. Uh, I think it's appropriate to, for me to uh, make some comments in regard to what I'm going to say. Um, last month, the evangelical world was absolutely uh, rocked, and that's just, that's a, uh, to say the least, at the uncovering of what seems to be uh, factual evidence that uh, Ravi Zacharias was guilty of sexual misconduct in his lifetime. Uh, RZIM, the ministry, has confirmed that, or I wouldn't say anything. And they've stated that not only are the accusations apparently true, it could get worse. Um, personally, this has hit hard. And uh, I know I want to say something. I just have prayed that the Lord would give me the words to say because I'm personally affected uh, by these uh, revelations. Where we went to be with the Lord in May. And so... All of this evidence has come out since. Um, I would encourage you, as I have sought to, is to first of all pray for the women who have been victimized in this situation. Women who have been treated in a predatorial way. And no matter what name is attached to the male, it's supremely wrong. And those of us who work in counseling ministry understand that apart from God's grace, the impact of spiritual abuse by a person in authority can go on for generations without interception of the Lord. I want you to realize that as a male, I have some glimpse of understanding of how horrible this is. Pray for those who have been victimized, please. Pray also for the good ministry of RZIM International. It has been a faithful ministry. Um, I have probably wanted to listen to almost everything that Ravi and his staff have put out. It is so excellent. His colleague went to be with the Lord a few years ago, Nabil Karashi, who was a top-notch apologist, especially in the world of Muslim evangelism. Pray for that ministry. Pray that this would not enable them to continue to do what God has called them to do. Pray for the colleagues in that ministry. It's, it seems that no one was aware of it. And that means there are men and women it was just last year sometime I listened to an excellent address by his daughter. Um, there are men and women that are absolutely shattered by this news. And in speaking of his daughter, pray for his family. The accolades, the thanks that was offered on behalf of Ravi's ministry to our Lord last May, must now come as a, I can't even, I don't even know how you would explain it to a, 
a family member. There are those who have been touched by his ministry. Me, you, others. And when other men have fallen, I have, I've even been alongside some people who have been devastated. That was the man that shared the gospel with me. That was the man where I came to faith in Christ. Or that was the man that helped me grow in my faith and then to be suddenly shattered with this news. Pray for people who have been disciples and followers of this ministry. I think of the words of Jesus to Peter in foreseeing his failure. Jesus says, I'm praying for you that your faith will not fall, fail. I can't give you any advice about how to think because I don't have any advice. I've been thinking about this for days. Um, I have in my library, I counted five men, five authors. I can name five books right now that have edified me and blessed my soul. And sometime two years ago, I was actually reading halfway through a book when the author's own sin was disclosed to the world, and I became sick. And I want to be able to pick up that truth, and I want that truth to help me, but it's so marred by this, and I don't, know, I don't have any advice. Except to say that although the situation is different, Paul in Philippians chapter 1 was able to rejoice that Christ was preached in spite of the background information. That's the only thing I've been able to hang on to. I thank you that Christ was preached. And I pray that our ZIM will continue to proclaim Christ as Lord. And, and as Tim prayed, continue to go into all nations and say, our God reigns. And only God can fix this. So as your pastor, I, I want you to know how deeply injured I am. And I'm sure some of you are. live long enough to see the glory of God rise above this and his name blessed. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills. Luther saw that. Our helper amid the flood of mortal ills. He is the one that helps us when humans fail. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. I take comfort in Luther's line there. I believe it to be a true reflection of the Bible. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. Would you pray with me? Father, we commit to you the grief and the pain that we bear. We offer it as a sacrifice back to you. And we pray, Lord, that as Luther wrote and as your word so aptly portrays, truth will prevail. Greater is he that is in us than he in the world. 
and you do reign. And for all the things I mentioned, I pray for the ladies that have been victimized, the people whose hearts have been shattered, whose confidence has been broken, for family members that must be absolutely shattered, for disciples and followers that look up to this man so with great honor. I pray for the ministry of RZIM that indeed it would go into the nation proclaiming our God reigns. Thank you for the myriad of men and women that are faithful apologists, faithful defenders of the truth. And we thank you, our Lord, that your truth will prevail. It will prevail in the investigations that follow. It will prevail ultimately in the new heavens and new earth in a day when everyone will know you. Teach us further, Lord, how to pray for this ministry. And help us to always be conscious of our own weakness. Help us to be always conscious of our own sin. And Lord, this morning as we look into your word, I pray that you would bring to our hearts encouragement. Most importantly, I pray that as we have just sung, that the eyes of our hearts would be opened, that we would see Jesus in the word of God. That your Holy Spirit would illuminate the pages so that Christ is seen in all his glory in the heart of our hearts. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, would you have John chapter 14 open before you? On this first Sunday of this year, I chose to go back to our exposition of John 14. You'll remember that chapters 2 through to 12 of this historical, biographical account of Jesus through the eyes and mind of John have given to us of Jesus' public ministry. Chapters 2 to 12 are fundamentally made up of, of seven signs that Jesus performed, confirming his deity that he was in fact God culminating in the last greatest sign being the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And then in chapter 13, we entered into a rather intimate time of communication, conversation between Jesus and his disciples. We had the washing of feet and the last supper. The betrayer was identified, Judas. And in that context, Jesus told his disciples that he was going to uh, be going away. Now that wasn't really new to them. And for those of us who are parents and for those of us who teach, you can always take some comfort here. Um, it's almost as if these disciples had walked with Jesus, listened to his words, and didn't have a clue. And Jesus could have easily at any time said, I just told you that. In fact, he's going to almost say that in this passage. So if you're a frustrated parent or teacher, uh, understand that Jesus understands. Uh, well, you'll see. Why the disciples were so uh, disconnected with the words of Jesus, there's no explanation given. But the passage that I'm reading is from verses 8 to 14. 
in John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. With all this confusion that has preceded, that we've preached on earlier, Peter's question, where are you going? Philip's question, I mean Thomas's question, we don't know the way. And now Philip's question, Lord, show us the Father. It's almost like Philip has stepped forward and said, okay, we're, we're really confused here, Lord, about what you're saying, where you're going, where we're going, what you're doing. So let's just end it all. You just show us the Father and we'll get it. That's, that's the, the apparent context. So as I preach this passage, I'm going to preach this in two main points. And if you're a, a note taker, here's the two points. The first thing that we're going to look at is the glory of the Father by the Son in his humiliation. That sounds like a mouthful. I'll explain it. We're going to first of all look at the glory of the Father in the Son in his humiliation. And then we're going to look at the glory of the Father in the Son in his exaltation. In plain English... We're going to look at how the glory of the Father was revealed in the Son in his incarnation on earth. And then we're going to look at how the glory of the Father is revealed in the Son right now in heaven at the right hand of God. Okay, so the first one, the glory of the Father by the Son in his humiliation. In this passage, Jesus is teaching that everything he did, he did to the glory of the Father. All that he said and all that he did was glorifying the Father. Flip a couple pages over to John 17, verse 4. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You don't get it any clearer than that. Jesus glorified the Father on earth in his humiliation through the words that he said and the deeds that he did, the works that he did. And remember he said to Philip, if you don't believe that for the words, at least look at the works. They're pretty phenomenal. Go back to John 5, please. In John 5, for a passage that we already looked at some months ago. John 5, verse 19. And we're going to come back here before I finish today. So Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So I'll stop there because we're going to come back to this in a minute. You see, beloved, how absolutely clear it is that if you look at the life of Christ, his entire life is God the Father on display. That's what that word glory means. It means to, to put on display, to put out in open who the Father is in all his beauty and grandeur and power. Everything Jesus did, he did to bring glory to the Father on earth. Now Philip comes up to him and asks him a very interesting question. Show us the Father. What Philip was asking, if you recall your broader study of Scripture, is what every Jew always wanted. He wanted a sign. Philip was asking Jesus, okay, we don't fully understand all you're saying, but to end this discussion, just do something really supernatural and show us the glory of God. You can understand the disappointment of Jesus. Philip, have I been with you so long? What was Philip asking for? I don't know. It's akin to what Moses asked of God. Show me your glory. Was Philip asking for a burning bush to appear that day in the street and speak? Was he asking for an all-consuming cloud to come down like it did in Israel to show the glory of the Father? I don't know. Was Philip asking for a voice to come from the mountain? Was Philip asking for handwriting on the wall? I don't know. But he was asking Jesus to put on a supernatural display right there. And that will end it. We'll be convinced. What did Jesus say in verses 10 and 11? The Father's glory, Philip, is in my words and in my works. Maybe this will make sense to you if I bring it down to a practical application. Aren't there many today who are seeking to see and experience the glory of God? People looking for a unique phenomenon to occur. I won't be specific, and I probably can't be specific, but I've seen on television concerts, even some worship services, the lights are brought down low. There's special lighting effects happening through the auditorium. The electronic music is cranking up in a Increasing, increasing beat and volume. You're going to sound, this is going to sound very cynical and critical. I don't mean it to, but I just want to under, you to understand how real Philip's question is. Musicians are all over the stage, swaying, arms lifted up, as the rhythm of the music is, is, is increasing and increasing and the song is saying, show me your glory, show me your glory, show me your glory. And that will be it. We'll be done. We won't need any more. And can you picture a stadium, an auditorium of frenzied Christian worshipers saying, show me your glory, show me your glory. And Jesus appearing in the midst of there and saying, Open your Bibles to the Gospels. 
Look at what I said. Look at what I did. That's the glory. Christian, do you want to see the glory of God like Philip? Do you want to see the Father? He was revealed in the Son. And if you look at the theme verse for this study in John, we have seen his what? Glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you're here this morning and like Philip, you're longing for that supernatural, explosive experience with God, open your Bible. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of your heart as you see and read the words of Jesus that display the glory of God. Open, ask the Holy Spirit to open your heart that as you see the works, the miracles, and the signs that Jesus did, the glory of God would leap off the pages and your heart would be captivated by that truth. glory of God was displayed on earth through Jesus Christ, through his words and his works. And in Hebrews chapter 1 we read that Jesus is the last revelation. He is the exact image and representative of God. how disappointing it is to look for some emotional, supernatural response. There are churches all over the world that are claiming everything from gold dust flying through the auditorium to all kinds of weird phenomena taking place. And what Christians are called to do is open your Bible Perhaps as you open Matthew 1 and read through to the end of John in, on your heart as you're singing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see Jesus. How was the glory of the Father revealed in the Son while he was on earth? Answer, through the words and the works that he did. Jesus moves on in verse 12 and he talks about how the glory of the Father is going to be revealed in the Son in his exaltation. After, in in fact, in a very short period of time, Jesus is going to be executed. He's going to die. And some days later, he'll he'll be raised up and ascended back to the Father. And Jesus describes the glory that he's going to be able to put on display even while he's in heaven at the right hand of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. How is the Father glorified in the Son right now, today? Answer, through answered prayer. Isn't that amazing? Through answered prayer. Through answered prayer, the Father is glorified through the Son. Now, I had to do a real heart and mind check on this because I'm going to ask you this question, but I had to ask it first, and I failed the test. I don't think there's too many Christians that you said, what is the purpose of prayer that you would answer the way Jesus answered it? I wouldn't have if I hadn't studied this passage. 
But beloved, do you see that the real purpose of prayer is to glorify the Father through answered prayer? Do you see that? Perhaps you'd be like me. I, I failed the test. I asked myself the question, Jim, if someone came up to you and said, what's the purpose of prayer? I would have never answered it this way. And yet this is the way Jesus answered it. He said, through answered prayer, the Father is glorified in me. When you pray to me and your prayer is answered, the Father is glorified in me. Here's the point. Jesus told the disciples that they can discern the glory of the Father in the Son through his words and his works while he was here on earth. But then he moves on and says, we can discern the glory of the Father in the Son through answered prayer, which, by the way, do you notice, brings greater works. So before I deal with this issue of greater works, let's remind us ourselves of what kind of prayer gets answered. What kind of prayer gets answered? The first found in verse 13 is ask, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So I think we all know that, right? But do we? I wonder if sometimes we treat in the name of Jesus as a magic formula to tag on to the end of our prayer, saying, there. When it never meant, was meant to be that way. To pray in the name of Jesus means to pray in accordance with his character and his will. His name displays his character and his attributes. And the Bible is very clear. Only what he wills will be answered. So let's be very clear about this, especially as we head into the new year and where thoughts are caught up with our own prayer life and our Bible reading and our disciplines. Let us remember that our confidence in answered prayer is only number one when we pray according to the character and the will of Jesus. And the question you should have in, on your mind is, well, how do I know his will? And we're right back to this book again, aren't we? We're right back to the book. The second qualification for answered prayer, I infer from this text, is that answered prayer is the only prayer that gives glory to the Father. can't pray that I'll be glorified in the sense that I get to receive accolades and honor and, 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 and my self-worth is lifted up. I can't pray selfishly. I can't pray self-centered prayers. Somehow my prayer, if it's going to be answered, in the end, is going to make the Father look gloriously great and wonderful. How do you pray in God's will? How do you pray so that the Father gets the glory? You pray in the Spirit. How do you pray in the Spirit? You read the Spirit's words in the Bible. Funny how it always comes back to that, doesn't it? If you think you can discern the thoughts of God apart from the inspired word of God, you are very foolhardy. And you will lead yourself and others to disaster. The character of Jesus and the will of Jesus is found in the word of Jesus. 
And so we're taught in this passage, briefly, he's going to say a lot more about this when we get into the next few chapters. But the Father is glorified through answered prayer. Answered prayer is based on, is it in the character and the will of Jesus, and will it bring glory to the Father? And answered prayer, in this context, promises even greater works than what Jesus did. That's clear. There's no mistake about that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Now, what are the greater works that the church has promised through answered prayer? What are the greater works? I mean, if we focus on the type of thing that happened, the, the event itself, what's greater than raising Lazarus from the dead? Is there anything greater than that? What's greater than feeding 20,000 people with a lunch from a small boy? What's greater than healing in diverse manners? I can't believe that this means that there's a type of ministry that you and I will do that is greater than Jesus in substance. It has to be something else. I would invite you to turn back to John chapter 5, where I believe we're given a definitive answer. We don't have to guess. We don't have to take a poll. You don't have to phone a friend. <clears throat> Again, pick up at verse 19 where I already read of chapter 5. Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Now watch this. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. You say, I wonder what you're trying to get at, Jim. I believe the biblical definition for greater works is the salvation of souls. I believe the biblical definition for greater works is when dead people who are dead in sin are given life. I believe the greater works that, are, that, are, that is defined biblically is when a person passes from death to life. So John chapter 5 already defines greater works. So when we get to John 14, that gives us a greater sense of clarity what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the fact that when he ascends to the Father, and people who believe in him pray, according to the will of Jesus, to the glory of the Father, Souls will be saved. People who are in the kingdom of darkness will be transferred into the kingdom of light. People who are dead and trespasses in sins will be quickened with new life. People who are lost will be found. The message that the church proclaims today is a greater message than has ever been proclaimed in the history of in the biblical history, because Jesus has ascended. First of all, I want you to notice that because Jesus has ascended, salvation is now a message that is preached as done, complete. Hebrews 1.3 says that when Christ had purified sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, we preach a message that 
Jesus has accomplished salvation for every person who will believe. Before the ascension, in the time of, of, of in Israel, it was a promise thing. If you believe, there's a promise that a Messiah will come. He will suffer and die. But the promise is now complete. You and I, when we tell people about Christ, we tell them about a completed deal. It is done. Salvation is done. It's complete for all who believe. There's nothing more to be done. It's a finished, complete, accomplished salvation. That's much greater. It also means that all the nations of the world belong to Jesus now that he's ascended. The writer to the Hebrews goes back into Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8, and reminds us that when Christ ascended, a dialogue took place between the Father and the Son. And the Father said to the Son, Ask of me and I will give you the nations. It means now that Christ has died, rose again, and ascended, he now has the legal right to all the nations of the world. Thus the apostle could say that he is the savior of all men, especially those who believe. All the nations are his. Why would he bow before Satan and say, yeah, I'll worship you and you give me the nations? His father had already promised him all the nations. There is a very real sense that Calvary bought for Jesus every tribe, tongue, and nation. In fact, if you look in your spare time at Revelation 23, you have a picture that John sees of Christ reigning and ruling on the throne. And John says, Satan has been bound. Well, how has he been bound? Answer, he can no longer deceive the nations. If I was preaching missiological message, missions message, I would say that because of the authority of Christ reigning today, there is not a nation in this world where the gospel cannot go. That's greater. That's greater. When Jesus was in Judea, and he was, there were hundreds of people affected by his ministry. Today, because of the ascension of Jesus, because the obedient prayers of his people, every nation of the world is an open door for Jesus Christ. It's also greater because God's elect are forever kept. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him since he always lives to make intercession. Salvation is secure. You can preach and teach and share a salvation that is real and is secure because Christ has ascended. Can you think of anything greater than that? What a privilege the church has in 2021. Just think what happened after these words just in a, in a short period of time. Remember this guy Peter? This guy Peter who said... Where are you going? Within a few weeks, Peter stood up filled with the Holy Spirit. Within a few weeks, Peter stood up filled with the Holy Spirit. How many men and women came to Christ that one sermon? How many? 3,000. I'm not great in math, but that sounds greater. Think for a minute with me the impact of the early church on the Roman Empire. In fact, Paul said, Paul said, thinking of the Roman world, the gospel has gone into the entire world. The impact of the early church on the Roman Empire was so profound, there was not a nation under Rome that was not impacted with the gospel message. 
It sounds greater. Today, think of it. You don't know this number. I didn't know this number. I had to look it up. There are 30,000 evangelical missionaries in the world today in other countries sharing the gospel. 30,000 full-time evangelical missionaries serving. But that doesn't mean the job's done. Because along with that number, 30,000, remember the name, number 300, there are still 300 tribes and people groups and language groups that still have not heard the gospel. And there is no closed door to those groups. None. Their leaders, their politicians, their military may say you're closed, but there is no closed doors. Have you just thought of this? Have you people had any idea what's been going on in Iran in the last few months? There is virtually a revival of the Christian faith in Iran today. Ask of me, his father said, and I will give you the nations. We're called to do an impossible task. And Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation. For you and me, that's an impossible task. But I thank God that just before he said that, he also said, all power and authority in heaven is mine. How can we reach people on the other side of the world? The answer is because of the present ministry of Jesus Christ. Anything you ask in my will, I will do it. So that the Father is glorified in me. When we pray, and I would add obediently pray, that his will would be answered. I have full confidence that God answers and greater works will be accomplished. Men will be taken from darkness to light. Women will be brought into life and eternal life. Boys and girls will respond to the gospel and believe. And someday, with certainty, we will gather with those around the throne of God who are there today. And we will say, worthy is the Lamb who is ransomed for himself from every tribe and every nation and every tongue. Those who have trusted in him. Christian, you ought to be inspired by this passage. You ought to be encouraged. You ought to be thrilled. And you ought to be motivated to pray in such a way that the Father is glorified in the Son through the accomplishments of greater works, meaning souls being saved and brought into the kingdom. Will you pray with me? Lord, we bow before you again. And even as Tim prayed earlier, we acknowledge our own faithlessness as we have not always proclaimed Christ as Lord. We have not always gone to the nations and said our God reigns. But Lord God, I pray that there would be a correction in our hearts and our thinking this morning. That we would realize that we 
are not called to do this on our own strengths and our own flesh and our own means. But you have promised to do this through the obedient prayer and ministry of your church. Father, we pray today that you would be glorified in the Son and that the gospel would go to all the nations of the world. We pray for those 300 people groups that have yet not heard the name Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send forth laborers, whether it be amongst us here or through our prayer and support, but you would send laborers into your vineyard and you would save your people from their sins. Lord, help us to be lovers of your word. Help us to see the glory of God on the pages of your word. And grant to your church, as we look forward to this new year, and the days that will follow, an ever-increasing confidence that you reign. And people need to hear that message. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me as I share with you uh, words of Scripture that would be your blessing that you could take on your heart as you leave this place. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.